take your Bibles with me and turn uh, to the book of 2 Timothy. Second Timothy chapter 3. The last few times I've been able to share uh, with you, we've been in the book of 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 12. We've been looking at the body of Christ and the spiritual gifts in that context. But as we turn the corner of this new year, uh, several of our speakers were busy and they weren't able to share with us. And we had a couple of weeks uh, open. Rick spoke last week, and we had two, two uh, services today, this morning and this evening, and so I knew those were going to be open, so I prepared for this morning, and that was the case, and I had a message, I was thinking about something, and it's actually a two-part message, so we'll look at uh, the first three points this morning, and then the following, a uh, Lord willing, four points this evening. In the title, uh, there is a handout with your bulletin, if you'd like to follow along, there's an outline there. Um, and it's really, look, we're looking at profiting from the word, the scriptures, and sin. You know, it's happened time and time again uh, where the Lord orchestrates given themes or topics. And last week, uh, Rick, as he was speaking, he even encouraged us. There's a, a Bible read-through plan on the back table. Encouraged us to read the word of God. And then last uh, Lord's Day evening, as Pastor Barnes was here, uh, he shared, he said, that one of the marks of a true believer is our yearning, our desire for the word. And as I was preparing and planning, even before those messages were, were spoke, it was, I came across uh, this outline profiting from the word and looking at the scriptures in relation to, to our, our sin. It's like, that's something that I can focus on, I should focus on, uh, develop further and even share with us uh, on this Lord's Day. So I trust this will be an encouragement to us. It's a familiar passage, no doubt, but I trust we'll see new things uh, and glean from it this morning. The, the outline isn't new with me. As I came across it, I was looking at some of the, the information that's available to me, uh, and I, I found that it was good. I thought I'd develop it, meditate on it, and share it, share it with you. And the, the theme text is here in 2 Timothy 3, verse 16. And if you're there, let's, let's read that together. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable. And that's where the theme comes from. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable. Father, your word is true, even as we've meditated on Psalm 119 this morning, and we've responded rightly to you, seeing that your precepts are true. Lord, as we see them even this morning, help us to see our need. Help us to see the direction we need to take and help us to respond rightly in the midst of us hearing uh, from your word. Lord, these are areas that I need to grow. Lord, it's a difficult message to preach knowing that I stand in need as well. Lord, help us to see your truths and simply respond as you would have us to respond. In Jesus' name, amen. Before we get into the heart of the message today, uh, by way of introduction, I'd really like to offer two foundational considerations for us, really, that relate to our topic. Uh, the first, even though we're trying to profit from our word, the danger of reading our Bible. You say, is there a danger to reading our Bible? It became more evident to me as I'm, I'm planning and maybe 
researching a little more as far as messages, what we should share, that I face some of these dangers, as well as probably other preachers. And it's not just limited to us. Anyone who reads or studies the Word of God, there are dangers that we face. And some of the scriptures I, I think that came to mind as I was reading, 1 Peter 5, 8 says, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about, seeking whom he may devour. And we think, is that even in relation to me reading God's word? We really should include that. Should we be sober to make sure we profit from God's word and avoid the dangers of reading the scriptures? In context of profiting from the word, can I read my Bible and find little or no spiritual profit? We spend time, we invest, right? When I open my word, I invest. Now the question is, am I carnally investing as I read God's word? Anyone, anyone can read the word of God. I can do it. You can do it. Anyone outside these doors can do it. But the question is, what are we gaining from that? If it's simply a knowledge for knowledge's sake, maybe it feeds how much I know about the Bible, right? Our internal pride. Is it spiritually profitable? Maybe there's simply a joy in discovering certain things in Scripture. We can discover things and know things, but are we profiting scripturally? I've heard this before. Some pastors, as they are preparing, the joy they find more in the process of preparing the sermon. Get out my Greek, my Hebrew, all my lexicons, look at different verses, and try to find the subtle nuances and share those with the people. But are we spiritually profiting from the Word? Do our motivations for reading really help in that regard? Maybe it's to satisfy, probably not here, but there are others that might read the Word of God simply because it's a good piece of literary art, and I want to be well-read. But it might hit closer to home. We're Christians, and sometimes we ask, hey, where are you reading in your Bible? Maybe I read just so that I have an answer. What about satisfying personal curiosity? Sometimes we also attend conferences. We'll rub shoulders, rub elbows with other professors that have a knowledge, and I don't want to appear ignorant. So I read, I study, so that I can converse with them. But is that spiritually profiting? Are we falling into a danger of just absorbing some of that information with the wrong, uh, with the wrong motives? If it's knowledge for knowledge's sake, how is that helpful? Accept the grace of God, work in our heart, and create change. You have the word in front of you, 2 Timothy 3.16. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for these things, doctrine, reproof, correction, instruction, and righteousness. Why? Why is it profitable? So that the man of God may be perfect, may be complete, may be uh, mature, truly furnished unto all good works. We have how we should be profiting. We should be profiting so that we're furnished, we're perfect, we're mature, furnished unto all good works. In this verse, what is omitted? Right? I look here. It doesn't say anything about mental stimulation. It doesn't say anything about answering all of those, those tough questions that we might find ourselves investing time in, but I'm supposed to be profiting in what way? So that I'm mature in my Christianity. I read, I should come to the Word of God to spiritually profit, 
so that God matures me and I'm ready for all his good works. A verse that often is, uh, many of us have memorized Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. But verse 10, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God has before ordained that we should walk in them. After we're saved, God has already ordained that we should walk in good works, and we profit from God's word. That's the motivation. We should be profiting so that we're ready unto good works. So we want to spiritually profit. We want to be aware of the dangers of reading God's word. We can carnally invest, and it doesn't spiritually profit us. But we should come intentionally to the word of God, avoiding those dangers and seeking to spiritually profit. The second thing is about our sin. You see the topic on that outline in front of you. If we're profiting from God's word, the scripture and sin, we should have a renewed understanding of sin. As I was thinking through this, in my Christian in my Christian life, I was saved at the age of five, so almost 45 years that I've been saved. But for 45 years, I probably used the word sin quite a bit. But have I thought about the true reality of sin as God sees it as I say it? Probably not. I say it, but do I really see it as God sees it? Now, if we use the word transgression, it might provoke a more weight, a more gravity that we should have as God sees it. But if we're asked to think, which I'm asking you to think this morning, we can start to recall how God views sin, what God views as sin, and how we should respond to it. Turn with me to Romans. Turn with me to Romans chapter 1. There are many lists that God gives in Scripture. We won't go through all of them. And throughout this chapter, there are quite a few things that God shares. Look down at verse 29. Sin. What does it do to us? How does it look? Well, sin, people are filled with all unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, debate, deceit, malignity, whispers, backbiters, haters of God, despiteful, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents. Ephesians 2 also lists several others. Mark 7, Galatians 5, 19. I'm going to turn to Proverbs. You don't have to turn there, or you can if you will. Proverbs uh, chapter 6. These six things doth the Lord hate. Yea, seven are an abomination, a proud look. When God looks at sin, what are the types of things he's looking at? A proud look, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that deviseth wicked imaginations, feet that be swift in running to mischief, a false witness that speaketh lies, he that soweth discord among the brethren. We can think of other places in Scripture. There are certainly heinous thin sins that might come to our mind. Yes, those are certainly there. And I was introduced I was challenged to think a different way. Maybe some of you have uh, read the book Respectable Sins by Jerry Bridges, and he really opens the eyes of the believer to not just the heinous sins that God sees as wrong, and we don't respect the sins as in we don't excuse them, but rather those that we probably do excuse in our life. The smaller 
white lie type sins. Those are wrong just the same. Personally, I lose sight of how sinful sin can be. Now, I know we at least have a general awareness of the wrongness of sin, and really many people, lost and saved alike, have a general sense of the wrongness. But sometimes it stops there, even in Christendom. We, we kind of just leave it. And I thought of that, that age-old analogy of the, the frog in the pot of water. Do we find ourselves as Christians in that pot and we're getting comfortable and we really don't see the danger or the, val the, um, the gravity, the weight of the sin that surrounds us, maybe even that we participate in? I thought of our perception of sin. You can think of your your critter, your creature, your nemesis, if you will, that thing that when you see it, you respond and you recoil in a very a physical way. But when we see sin, do we respond and recoil in that same way? Or is it just, yeah, sure. Oh, I see deer in my backyard. Yeah, that's nice. Um, or is it something that I recoil at? How do I respond? God's understanding, picture with me if you will, what is God's understanding of sin? If we're a satellite's view of the earth, Romans 5.12, so you've got the earth in front of you. Romans 5.12 says, Wherefore, as by one man, we know Adam, sin entered into the world. Can you see sin entering into the world? Can you see it? Because the world was perfect before. But sin entered into the world. And what happened? What did sin bring with it? Death. Wherefore, as by one man sin entered the world, death by sin. So death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. It was sin. This is how God sees it. This is how we should see it. It was sin which gave death its throne and the right to reign. We don't enjoy an earth any longer that is free of death right now, right? That's what sin brought. Ephesians 4.17, what else about sin that God sees? Well, as sin impacted human, us, it impacted our mind, the emptiness of our mind, having our understanding darkened. What else did sin do? Being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart. Not only did it add death to us, but sin has ruined the soul. Sin has ruined the soul. And then in 2 Thessalonians 1, 8, sin exposes us all unto everlasting destruction. That's sin. That's sin as God sees it. Now, when I say sin, when I see sin, do I see it now as God sees it? As we personalize our understanding, when I sin today, what still happens? We read of examples in scripture, but when I sin today, I am still turning away from the chief good, right, God, and I'm turning to evil. I'm turning away from God, and I'm turning to evil. When I sin, it is in open opposition to God. It's not only turning from him, but it's turning against him. It's the soul hating God as the lawgiver. When I sin, I create really my own law. I create my own law in favor of God's law because I say this is okay and I do it. And I reject God 
as the lawgiver. When David realized these things for himself, when he saw his sin, when he understood God was who he was, what did he say? Against thee, thee only, have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight. Now, most of us listening this morning were saved. We profess to know Jesus Christ as our Savior. And with such, there comes a greater weight, a greater responsibility as we see sin for what it is. In Matthew 11, it was the people of Capernaum. They saw the works of Christ. They had the chance to respond rightly, but Jesus said what? It shall be more tolerable for the land of Sodom in that day of judgment than for thee. They were accountable for more because they saw the works of Christ. Hebrews 10, 28, the writer talks to the Hebrews that know of Jesus. He says, how much more sore punishment suppose ye shall he be thought worthy who hath trodden underfoot the Son of God and hath counted the blood of the covenant wherewith he was sanctified an unholy thing. We know God. We know the word. And it's no small thing for us that we should live with a light knowledge of sin, a light knowledge of sin before God. Now, I know this was a, a lengthier introduction, but as it relates to profiting from the word, considering our scripture, uh, considering our sin, looking at the dangers of reading the word, we want to profit from the word. And we want to profit rightly, understanding the sin as God sees it. A pastor of the later uh, 1800s, early 1900s said this, one may read the scriptures all his life and be able to quote accurately the various declarations about sin and yet have only a mental awareness of the subject. One may thoroughly be acquainted with the most solemn facts about sin and yet the heart be entirely unmoved. When we come to the scriptures, we want to be moved. We want to profit from the scriptures. So these two foundational considerations of the danger of reading our Bible, the renewed understanding of sin, really will help us focus as we desire to spiritually benefit from the Word. So today, the main message um, is composed of seven ways that we can profit from the Word. And as I started looking at these points, there are seven of them, but they kind of fell into the group of three and a group of four. The first three we'll consider this morning, I thought of uh, the analogy of in the financial world about being in debt, being under the debt of sin. And then the final four, as we get out of debt, we're out from under that load of sin, we are now able to grow in Christ and we're able to serve him uh, in those things. So as we consider that this morning, these first three living in the red, trying to get out of the red, if you will, let's consider point number one. An individual is spiritually profited when the word convicts him of sin. When the word convicts him of sin. You know, it really doesn't matter how morally good a man strives to be before all of his associates, before all of his family. If he's doing that in and of himself, there's no spiritual profit. In Isaiah 64, 6, the prophet said, All of our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. It's only when the Holy Spirit does a couple of things. It applies the word to man's heart, and he opens the sin-blinded eyes to see my relation and my attitude to God. That's when I experience spiritual profit. And at that point, we share the sentiment of Isaiah, 
when he said, Woe is me, for I am undone. When we spiritually profit from the word, it convicts us of sin. Now, conviction, conviction comes to a couple of different uh, people, really the lost and the saved. The lost, those that have not yet yielded to God, and those that have, right? The saved that we've professed to know him, we've surrendered to God. Now, conviction to the lost, the lost spiritually profit when the word convicts them of their sin. The law points out their sinful nature of life in Christ, but it also shares the grace, the love of God through the gift of Jesus Christ. But the lost soul is brought to realize the need of Christ. In Mark 2, they that are whole need not a physician, but they who are sick. The lost need Christ. As God draws men to himself, the Spirit applies the power of the gospel, and the convicted unbeliever is made to feel sick unto death, right? Which brings the individual decision to choose life, to choose God. Now, what about conviction to the saved? We spiritually profit when the Word of God brings conviction into our life. We read the scriptures intentionally, avoiding the dangers, and we want to spiritually profit, but it convicts through a couple of things. We read our scriptures. We're going to see human examples. We're going to see failures in those texts. You might be able to think of Jonah or Samson. Now, when I read, does it make me feel, does it make me realize how sadly like them I am? When I read of Jonah, that's me. At times, I run from God. When I read of Samson trying to do things in his own strength or not even understanding, God has departed from him. Does it remind us of ourselves? We see examples in the word of God as we read. We should be if we're spiritually profiting. We read examples of Christ, how perfect he is. Does that help us to realize how imperfect we are? There are other examples in scripture. As God illuminates those examples, does it help us to see where we are and we've fallen below the bar? What bar? Be ye holy, for I am holy. The word of God is to help us scripturally profit as it convicts us from sin. That's point number one. Point number two, an individual is spiritually profited when the word makes him sorrow for sin. We're convicted. Conviction is good, but we need to sorrow for our sin. Now, the danger is that conviction comes, but there's no sorrow for sin in our lives whether that's for the unbelieving or for the believing. The contrast is seen between the stony ground and the parable of the soil and the unbelieving listeners under the preaching of Peter. Do you remember the, the parable of the sower, the parable of the soils? The word, the seed, is thrown onto the stony ground, and what happens? They hear the word, and anon, with joy, they receive it. But you know, some things come into their lives yet he hath no root in himself. You know, it sounds really good, it makes sense to me, but when hard times come, it withered. Now contrasted in Acts 2, as Peter is preaching, talks about Jesus Christ, talks about the sin, and people are pricked in their heart. And what was their response? What shall we do? There was a difference in their responses. On the one hand, there may be a receiving even the conviction with no sorrow, which is like today. 
there will be many that sit and hear the word of God. If the word of God is like a nice flowery message, a feel good, they'll sit and listen to the word, but there's little conviction, or even if they acknowledge certain things, there's no sorrow. There's no sorrow for their sin. Preachers may be also willing to preach to ears that are itching. So they fail to preach all of God's word or fail to preach those things that point out things in our lives. Now, what's on the other hand? The things that do you yearn for? Do you desire for? We spiritually profit when the true preaching allows the scripture to confront our character. We allow the scripture to confront our lifestyle and even expose our failures in life. The Holy Spirit is there to apply the word to my personal life. And when I see my sin as God sees my sin, the word brings sorrow. The word brings sorrow. Now, when our failures are exposed, I don't know about you, it's difficult for me to receive when my failures are exposed. Now, God does it. It's good. No chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous, but grievous. But the truly sorrowful, the truly regenerate will be thankful for the message of the word that it brings to your heart. It causes us to mourn for our sin. O wretched man that I am. Now, there's a response that Jeremiah shares. You know, there's a lot of prophecy that happens or a lot of, um, as the children of Israel are in captivity, they're released from captivity, there's looking into the future, there's looking at the present. But as God brings judgment to Ephraim, Ephraim says, After that I was instructed, I smote upon my thigh. I was ashamed, yea, even confounded. Ephraim saw the sin, and they responded in sorrow. When was the last time we allowed the word to bring sorrow over our sin? It's not joyous. It's grievous. But afterward, it brings the peaceable fruit of righteousness. We can joy in that. So the word brings conviction, but do we intentionally come? Right? I'm going to avoid the dangers. We know if we just come with wrong motivations or seeking to do things, we may not profit from God's word. Do we come intentionally to the scriptures with the expectation of being humbled before God? We never like to be humiliated, right? That's like, avoid humiliation. But do we come expecting to be humbled before God? Do we come to the scriptures expecting to have a contrite and a broken spirit as the spirit applies the word in our hearts? Search me, O God. Try me. See if there be any wicked way in me. We spiritually profit from the word as it brings conviction, as it brings sorrow. And the third point this morning, an individual is spiritually profited when the word leads to confession of sin. Appreciated the song that Kurt, uh, right before the message, it's like, you know what? The word brings conviction, the word brings sorrow, and we're led to confess uh, to God. Now, many of us... Uh, have a true profession of Jesus Christ, there may be those uh, that might be listening uh, either now or, or later, that all of this may be new to you, um, where what is religion? 
what is God? What is this lost and saved, you know, that you're talking about? But if you're listening, you may know this, that you carry a weight, a burden. There is no peace in your life. And if you know that, the Bible says the weight that you're carrying is your sin. The Bible also says that your sin destines you to hell and forever separates you from God, forever separates you from heaven. The scriptures also tell of a way to escape that weight, to gain peace in life, to secure a place in heaven. Jesus, the Son of God, was born on earth, lived a sinless life, died a cruel death for me, for you, pain, sin's penalty. So have you been brought to conviction, to sorrow through the scriptures? It's the word that does that. Well, the next step is confessing our sin, confessing your sin, your need of a Savior, and asking Jesus to save you. Conviction comes, sorrow comes, but confession is necessary. What about those that profess Christ? We're in the family of God, but we still sin. Are we in need of conviction? Are we in need to sorrow over our sin? Are we in need of confessing that to God? Certainly, certainly we are. But it doesn't happen automatically. It doesn't happen by default. We've been in church long enough. It's like conviction and sorrow. Yes, I need to confess. But we do have to make that choice. We have to choose to confess. We have to say, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. When the scripture brings that conviction and sorrow, the honest soul will acknowledge its faults. Whoso confesseth and forsaketh them your sins will have mercy. When David sinned in his life, we don't have to go into the whole story. He said, I acknowledged my sin unto thee, and mine iniquity have I not hid. I said, I will confess my transgressions unto the Lord, and thou forgavest the iniquity of my sin. Now, these first three points of our uh, profiting from the word this morning had to deal with living under the debt of sin, whether lost or whether saved. We can still profit from the word. For those that, don't, uh, that do not personally know the one and only true God, you lack a personal relationship with him, but he desires that relationship with you. It's the sin we talked about earlier that gets in the way, but it's Jesus Christ that bridges the gap. It's the word. It starts with the word. If your belief in the word has brought conviction and sorrow over your sin, put your belief into action and confess your sin. Confess that Jesus is Christ and accept him as Savior. Now, for those of us that know God, sin hinders our fellowship with him. Sin hinders our fellowship with him. There is no real peace for the soul, no rest for the heart. While we carry that burden, we still carry a burden. Unconfessed sin. As I was thinking through this, we can read lots of things. We can try to research different things. But there is no sermon, no book, no commentary that will ever help us to understand the profitability of Scripture better than your personal experience of seeing the prophet of the word bringing personal conviction to you, personal sorrow for sin, 
and brings you to personally confess that to Jesus Christ. And as that happens, it brings sweet communion with him. So these are the first three points of kind of getting out of the debt of sin. And as we uh, close the service this morning, Kurt will come, and then I'll come and close uh, after the song, Kurt.